This is episode 250 of the AWS podcast, released on June 24th, 2018. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Sam Lisha here with you. Great to have you back. So this episode is one where we're going to kind of look at some fundamentals. Uh, I've had some listener feedback saying, it's great talking about all the new stuff, but what about some of the basics? So this one will come back to some basics, but I think even for those of you who are very experienced in using AWS, you might get a little bit something out of it. So this is about AWS's global infrastructure and how you can best take advantage of it. And some fundamentals to really understand that are important in some of the design decisions you might make and some of the things you can take advantage of. So at the time of recording, so this is June of 2018, because these numbers change really, really rapidly, uh, the AWS cloud now spans 55 availability zones within 18 geographic regions and one local region around the world. And we've also announced plans for 12 more availability zones and four more regions, specifically in Bahrain, Hong Kong SAR, Sweden, and a second AWS GovCloud region in the US. Now, I'm going to demystify all these terms and explain how they fit. But the fundamental construct is about regions and availability zones, or AZs, uh, as we call them. Uh, yes, I'm Australian. Yes, I should call them AZs. However, I think uh, I've spent enough time calling them AZs that I'm not going to get out of that habit in a hurry. So AWS regions provide multiple physically separated and isolated availability zones, which are themselves connected with low latency, high throughput, and highly redundant networking. So these availability zones offer AWS customers an easier and more effective way to design and operate applications and databases, making them more highly available, fault-tolerant, and scalable than in a traditional single data center infrastructure or even multiple data center infrastructures. And this is important because this helps you control the availability profile and the reliability profile of your application. And the trick is to build it in rather than to build it on. So you want to design your application to be resilient from the start. Now, if you consider a traditional infrastructure where you have access to one, maybe two data centers, uh, so not AZs, but data centers, so the more traditional physical construct, you're pretty limited in how you can build replication, how you can do data locality, etc. Regions are made up of multiple availability zones. Most regions have, have uh, three. Uh, there are a few that have two and many have more than three. Uh, but essentially you have three, uh, if you think of them, clusters of data centers to play with. So each availability zone is not one data center. There are many data centers within an availability zone. Having this construct means you have a very flexible and native way to deploy your application across multiple locales and also to be highly available within the same region. And we'll get into some detail about that. But first I wanted to run through where these regions are. So the current list of regions includes the following. US East, North Virginia and Ohio. US West, North California and Oregon. Asia Pacific, Mumbai, Seoul, Singapore, Sydney, Tokyo, and a local region in Osaka. We'll talk about that shortly. In China, there's Beijing and Ningxia, although I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Uh, in Europe, there's Frankfurt, Ireland, London, and Paris. In South America, there's Sao Paulo. And we also have a special GovCloud region in US West. And as I mentioned earlier on, there are already announced regions coming soon for Bahrain, Hong Kong SAR, Sweden, and another AWS GovCloud in US East. So these are the geographic locations currently that you can choose from. 
However, uh, there are some sub-constructs within that. The first of those is, of course, the availability zone. So let's dive a little bit more into the availability zone concept. Each availability zone runs on its own physically distinct independent infrastructure and is engineered to be highly reliable. So common points of failures like generators and cooling equipment are not shared across availability zones. Additionally, they are physically separate, such that even extremely uncommon disasters such as fires, tornadoes or flooding would only affect a single availability zone. So this is really important because it provides you a built-in and inherent structure to isolate problems and isolate the effect of problems on your own application. And this structure came out of a long history of Amazon and AWS operating systems and understanding what it took to achieve a high level of availability. And this means having this concept of availability zones built in to the infrastructure so that as a developer or an infrastructure deployer, you can take advantage of it very, very natively. So let's talk a bit about naming structures because if you're going to use regions and availability zones, you need to know how to refer to them. Each region has a set of codes. It starts with the sort of country that it's located in. So it could be US or it could be AP for Asia Pacific or EU for the EU and then a general location area. So EU-West-1 is EU Ireland, whereas EU-West-2 is EU London, for example. Then within each of those, there'll be a letter appended to it for each availability zone, A, B, C, etc. So for example, I, if I'm using the Sydney region, I might refer to AP-Southeast-2A as one of my availability zones. So this gives me a very consistent, programmatically driven way to access and refer to particular availability zones and regions. This is also something you can use as parameters to all types of commands and of course within cloud formation as well for your automation if you want to refer to it specifically. Now something to be aware of is that the letter for your availability zone may not be the same across multiple accounts if you're running multiple accounts. So for example, my AP Southeast 2A might not be the same as your AP Southeast 2A from a physical location availability zone perspective. This is done for a number of reasons, but it's just something to bear in mind that the same availability zone in one customer account may not be the same for another one. Now, the interesting things about availability zones is that some services, of course, handle them transparently to you. They take advantage of them, so they deploy the service uh, uh, in a highly available, resilient way for you, but you don't ever specify a particular availability zone. You specify a region, and you'll notice you always specify a region in everything you do because that provides locality of where you're placing that infrastructure, but you may not have to specify an availability zone. Some examples of this are the simple queuing service, Lambda, DynamoDB, etc. These services deploy across multiple availability zones in a specific region, the region that you choose. However, you do not have to manage control or specify a multiple availability zone deployment. They do it for you. Now, there are some services that will handle it automatically for you unless you want to make a specific decision. And a great example of this is S3. So S3 deploys across uh, all the availability zones in a particular region for you. However, if you choose the S3 one zone option, it by definition deploys into one availability zone. So this is a conscious choice that you're making to kind of override or have an alternate deployment to the default deployment approach. Now, of course, for some other services, it's a key configuration item. EC2, EBS, RDS, you'll always be specifying the availability zones you want to deploy across in a very specific and uh, deterministic way. So there's a choice here in terms of the services that you use and the services that have 
a close tie into which availability zone uh, you want to deploy into and those that don't really care. You'll always specify the region. However, some services take care of that availability zone construct for you. So what about connecting into these regions? Well, a very popular construct and service that customers use is something called AWS Direct Connect. And this allows you to establish a dedicated network connection from your premises to AWS. And what you do is you create a private connection between AWS uh, and your own data center. And you do this through a particular location. And this is a cross-connect location. This is not the region itself or the availability zone itself. It is a specialized facility to make it possible to do this cross-connect in a secure way. And another thing that might be useful to you is something called the Direct Connect Gateway. And this is a grouping of virtual private gateways and private virtual interfaces that belong to the same AWS account. And it allows you to interface with the VPCs in any AWS region, except for the AWS China region, enabling you to use your AWS Direct Connect connections to interface with more than one AWS region. So before this construct existed, you would have a Direct Connect per region. Uh, now with this gateway, you can go to multiple regions. Now there is a vast list of AWS Direct Connect locations that I'm not gonna get into listing here. This is one of those ones to look in the show notes to see uh, what you want and which location you can take advantage of. Now, the other piece of infrastructure that uh, people are often interested in are the uh, Amazon CloudFront Content Distribution Network Points of Presence, or POPs is often in the industry what we call them. So Amazon CloudFront, just if you haven't used it before, is a global content delivery network or a CDN service that securely delivers data, video applications, and APIs to your viewers with low latency and high transfer speeds. Now, the nice thing is CloudFront's integrated with AWS, so it means physical locations that are directly connected to the AWS global infrastructure, software that works seamlessly with things like AWS Shield for DDoS mitigation, S3, ELB, EC2 as origins, and Lambda at the edge to run custom code close to your viewers. So it's pretty powerful. Again, at the time of recording, so June 2018, Amazon CloudFront has 117 points of presence, which include 106 edge locations and 11 regional edge, edge caches. And I'll get to what that means in a moment. And these are located in 56 cities across 25 countries. So what is this CloudFront regional edge cache? So if you think about the fact that CloudFront delivers your content through a worldwide network of data centers, which are called edge locations, the regional edge caches are located between your origin web server and the global edge locations that serve content directly to your viewers. So this helps improve performance for your viewers whilst lowering the operational burden and cost of scaling your origin resources. So what this does is basically locate the data between the different endpoint edge locations and your origin and it avoids an extra hop to get to the origin or that latency that you might need. And essentially what this allows you to do is to cache more content closer to your users. And the good news is, is you don't actually have to do anything. This feature is enabled by default, uh, but I just wanted you to understand that this concept exists, that there are these different kinds of uh, CloudFront edge locations that you should be aware of, but you don't actually have to bear in mind in terms of your overall design because there's no choice to make, the benefit accrues to you automatically. Now, no discussion of infrastructure would be uh, complete without a discussion of security. One of the questions that I still get from time to time from customers, much less than I used to in the past, is they want to do a tour of the data center or they'd like their um, particular certifier of choice to do a tour of the data center. 
And it's like, well, firstly, there are lots of data centers that make up availability zones that make up regions. You now know this. Uh, but also, we don't allow anyone to have access to data centers that don't have a legitimate reason to be there. And a legitimate reason means basically maintaining the equipment. Other than that, you have no reason to be there. So, for example, I would love to visit one of our data centers or one of our availability zones and the data centers within those. And I have no legitimate business reason to do so. Hence, I have never seen the inside of one, uh, which is important. Now, Many people have still said, well, you know, how do you build these things? What do they look like, et cetera? Well, we don't share photos, et cetera, again, because of security considerations and to make sure that we're providing a, as much confidentiality as possible. However, what we have created is kind of a virtual data center tour that takes you through some of the design considerations put in place for the data centers that make up the availability zones that make up the regions, who manages these, how they're managed, how access is controlled, et cetera. So I'll put a link in the show notes for what is essentially a virtual data center tour without actually seeing the data center that might answer a few questions that may be interesting to you about how these things work from a security perspective. But there's a far more practical security thing that I wanted to mention because it's a more recent addition to the IAM capability that we have for our customers. And this is a new condition element that you can use within an IAM policy. So a, a condition is an optional IAM policy element that lets you specify special circumstances under which the policy grants or denies permission. So a condition includes a condition key, an operator, and a value for the condition. And there are two kinds of conditions. There are service specific conditions and global conditions. Service specific conditions are specific to certain actions in an AWS service. For example, the condition key EC2 instance type supports specific EC2 actions. Uh, global conditions support all actions across all AWS services. So there is a new condition or new-ish, I should say, that's available to you. And this is the AWS requested region condition key. Now, this supports all actions across all AWS services and you can use any string operator to specify any AWS region for its value. So essentially you can specify if you want to allow or deny the operation to take place at a particular region level. So this means you can explicitly, for example, say, I only want to deploy things into AP Southeast 2 and IAM will enforce that such that if I try and deploy it elsewhere, that deployment will fail based upon that IAM policy. So this is a very small, simple change to make to give you incredible control over where your data and your processing is located. Because again, because of the regional construct, you always specify which region things take place in and data does not move between regions unless you explicitly copy it using your own manual copy mechanism or activate a particular copying service that may be available within the service that you happen to be using. So that was a bit of a spin through the world of regions and availability zones and edge locations, et cetera, that I hope have uh, deconstructed a few things for you. Uh, I did mention the local region, so I'm going to call that out. That's the Asia-Pacific Osaka local region. And this is a local region that's available to select AWS customers who request access. Uh, so customers wishing to use the Asia-Pacific Osaka local region should speak with their sales representative. Now, when customers think about deployment, the fundamental advice I always give is, if you're using services that already span the availability zones within a region, tick. Uh, if you're deploying services that need to go across uh, multiple availability, availability zones and you have to specify them, EC2 is a great example, always deploy in at least two availability zones. Three is better if you can, depending on your application architecture and the availability zones that are available to you. 
And then if you want to mitigate against some sort of regional issue, then you have other regions to take advantage of as well. So you have multiple levels that you can go to. The fundamental thing though that I see with most customers is when they move into an AWS region, they immediately have access to a far more resilient infrastructure than ever before. And they have the availability of far more actively running availability zones than ever before. So if you take the mental model previously, well, I've got my production and I've got my DR and one's active, one's passive. That's not the model that customers deploy. They typically will deploy now active, active across all the availability zones. Everything's sharing the load, everything works. The loss of an availability zone wouldn't have any effect in the unlikely event that it took place on the overall application. So immediately your availability posture is improved and your ability to cope with the unexpected is dramatically improved from today. So even if you're sitting there and saying, well, I've got three physical data centers available to me in my existing infrastructure, you'll actually be a lot better off moving to an AWS region where we have access to far more infrastructure than ever before. So I hope that was useful. Lots of links in the show notes to, again, demystify this. The map of the different regions and service availability in the regions is also in the show notes. That's the place to look at because that number increases all the time, more stuff in more places and more places to have more stuff. And uh, we do love to get your feedback, AWS podcast at amazon.com. And until next time, keep on building.